My name is the Reverend Michael Drew Davis. And as we continue this time of conversation together, we will continue our conversations that we're having each week with our book study with the Dr. Reverend Adam Hamilton and the words of life. Today, we have made it up to the second commandment and Last week, we talked a little bit about Thou shalt not have any gods before me, and specifically in this video, we talked about what it would mean to not have any other gods before us, including God. And we talked a little bit last week about ways that we create this image of our God, and we look for our God. We look for the God that makes us feel good, and we look for the God that enforces the rules that we want to follow the dangers of even putting God before God. We may uh, voyage into that conversation again as we move into this conversation about not creating images to worship, not creating statues or any kind of engraved image is the, one of the phrasings in, in Scripture for us to bow down and worship. Now, I want to journey with this conversation because sometimes having a tangible image in front of us enables us to express what we are feeling spiritually and emotionally. For an example, but one of the beautiful things that our office administrator, Mrs. Mercedes Ferguson, does for our church is she designs our newsletter and she finds different pictures and different things to make our newsletter more lively and more bright. Uh, we look at um, our bulletins and the, a beautiful picture to, to have in there to help strengthen what's about to be shared. Now, when I get into this conversation, we're not talking about a don't make art, which unfortunately... Unfortunately, I've personally viewed this commandment be skewed into. This isn't not having art, and it's not having statues or sculptures. But it's, it's taking something that's handmade, man-made, and applying deity to it. Uh, it's something that's taken man-made or handmade and, and making it this, this object of worship that supersedes God. And now here, that's the key point that's going to level all this for me. That supersedes God. Let's go ahead and lay into the example. You know, we, we have a wonderful altar committee at our church. And our altar committee uh, puts uh, flowers on the altar. They move uh, table. They, they keep the, the liturgical colors up to date. They, they know more about the liturgical colors and the liturgical calendar than I ever will. And sometimes we have beautiful displays on the altar, and sometimes it's just flowers and a cross. We have this beautiful uh, group that works hard to aesthetically add some beauty to our church. You know, we have banners in our church. We've got the United Methodist symbol, the cross and the flame. We've got different uh, flags for different importance. And all of these things are beautiful and they're lovely because they don't supersede God. They're in there to aesthetically enhance our worship experience, aesthetically enhance our ability to, to be aware, to connect 
to God. Now, when we get into this conversation, here is, here's the difference. And it's the phrase that supersedes the importance of God. Sometimes we, we create idols, especially now, if you look at the time period in which this was created, if you look at the whole history of, of Egyptian art, of, of the, the different forms of worship and before the uh, follow through of the actions of Jesus Christ, there, there, there's this need to have this textile, this tangible thing to focus on. And sometimes those things became um, images of worship. We, we look at the image of the golden calf and how that God challenged that you should not have any God before me. And we look at the golden calf. We look at other things, this, these tangible things that and unfortunately over time have become images of focused worship instead of images enhancing why that they were created. I'll share with you, uh, even sometimes the cross, which is a, a beautiful uh, foundation image within our faith, sometimes even crosses have become this superseded imagery of that exceeds God, and that's what's being challenged against. So it's this challenge within us that we create things for expression, but we don't create things that supersede why that why that they're being created. I realize I'm talking over myself a little bit. But we create things for expression. But we don't create things to supersede why we create them. Let's talk about the imagery that, that we have within the, the golden calf that I just explained them. Unfortunately, today, as I'm sharing this video, the only image of a of a worshipped structure uh, that that I can think of will be the golden calf. Is you know, it's it's anything that draws our mind's eye away. It's any image that doesn't enhance our worship, but it draws away from our worship. The the golden calf would be one of those. If you if you look at things, and if I lower this down in, into a more basic level, I'm, sometimes even our worship areas become images that supersede their importance. There is a phrase, and I, I keep going back to the golden calf. There's a there's a phrase that every pastor looks out for, especially when they move into a new worship environment, and we literally call it the church's golden calf. Now, the golden calf may be a golden cow, or it may be a, um, a piano that was donated by Aunt Betsy, or um, and a piece of artwork that at one point, at one specific time, had a very specific significance that has long passed by, and you want to move that painting away, but it is a golden calf to someone in that in the worship facility because it has an emotional connection to Uncle Bob or Aunt Trudy or, or so forth. There's some things that we that we invest so much importance in that they begin to supersede why they were brought there. 
you know, I'll, I'll use the image of, um, of musical instruments. I'll use the image of piano, you know, that, that, churches end up with seven or eight pianos because that we want to have them for music and then a church needs to trim them down and i've heard rumors of and i i cannot say and i will not say that i have had a first-hand account in this but i i i have a friend that has been in meetings where became arguments because our church has five pianos and two of them work and they only have one music leader that kind of sort of plays piano. Everything's gone to the drum machines and the guitars nowadays, but, but they can't get rid of the three pianos that they don't have anymore because, well, Aunt Trudy or Uncle Bob or uh, Aunt Trixie donated it and they have a long-term significance. See, now that item in this conversation is no longer about why it's there, but it becomes more significant than why it was created. Like the golden calf. It became an image of worship or thanks or gratitude, but then it became the item of worship. Sometimes our images of God becomes those things, and I'll tie this back into our conversation last week sometimes that we should have no other god before us even god oh we bring our own image and our own prescribed happiness into our image of god and that's who we want i i think about there's a french uh, philosopher his name is uh, voltaire and voltaire once made the statement that uh, did God create man in his own image or did man create God in his image? And I think about that a lot, especially as I deal in situations where individuals are deep-heartedly rooted in something. You know, and again, I'll share with you, tangible objects are very important to allow us to express things in ways that we just cannot express on our own. Sometimes we need that beautiful artwork. Sometimes we need Rembrandt's rendition of the prodigal son so that we, we have this visual image in front of us of something that, that helps us connect to the importance of that, of that story. Sometimes we need the beautiful cross that's right in front of the church so that we have this tangible visual image in front of us that we can connect to it and connect to our emotional connections to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Sometimes we need that beautiful piano, that beautiful Steinway grand piano, so that we have this glistening image of this music that we use to celebrate God. But where this conversation goes in this commandment is when that we begin to worship the object more than the reason we have the object. Let's go back into the statement by Voltaire, the, the French philosopher Voltaire, because that kind of fits in to where it's not always a tangible thing, but it's an idea that becomes the graved image that we worship more than God. It's, sometimes it's a, a desire 
and it's a longing that becomes the grave image that we worship more than God. And sometimes we need to process, like we talked about last week, are we putting our own image of God before who God is? Now, let's get back into the, the idea that I'm presenting today. Because things exist for very specific purposes. And as I've shared, a piece of artwork, a beautiful structure is created to give us an outlet or an avenue to worship God. But sometimes we add more importance to that, that it supersedes the reason it was created. I've made that statement again. So here we go. We're going to tie this into ideas. Sometimes we have ideas that allow us within our lives to find our footing and our stronghold in our faith. We have things that we, we need to not do within our lives because they're unhealthy, they're distracting. They really, there is really more long-term negative effects for the individual than is good. So we have this standard that we set on ourselves individually that equip us and enable us to stay more focused on God. So again, in the narrative of the artwork, we have something that's created for a very specific purpose that allows us to worship something outside of ourselves. But here's what happens, and, and we all know this happens because we're not a part of the Christian church, we are a part of a denomination. Now, I'll speak very specifically. This is where denominationalism begins to be the, the platitude or the platform that helps us worship supersede the worship. There's reasons that some of us follow Martin Luther and some of us follow John Calvin and some of us follow John Wesley is because there's something within their philosophies that we connected to. It became the vessel that we use to connect to the thing outside of us. Now, something that I see in different ways, and we've all seen this in different ways, we as United Methodists right now are dealing with this certain way. We've become so entrenched within the tool that allows us to connect to the thing outside of us that it becomes so important to us that we need everybody else to do it too. And that's where denominations come from. Once upon a time, someone had a beautiful idea. Some One time, long, long ago, um, a, a dear man had an idea and wrote the 99 Theses and nailed it on the door of the cathedral, and there you go, Protestants. <laughs> and they're good, and they're healthy. But then sometimes that becomes a war in the argument, doesn't it? Sometimes when we place the, the vessel that allows us to connect to the greater thing and allow it to the, become the greater thing, it becomes this divisive image that has caused Methodists, Catholics, Presbyterians, Lutherans, what Baptists, and Wesleyans, 
and all, all the sort because we get to these moments that the practice sometimes became more important than the worship. And then here we are, especially in the moments that they become arguments and, and fights. And especially in this moment, while we as United Methodists are in an argument and a fight that this thing that allowed us to find our comfort place to connect to the greater God has now become a divisive point that will split a denomination and, and start another one. I want us to think about that for a moment because it goes back to what I keep referencing is this Voltaire quote. And it's, and I think it, now, even though that he, he w was trying to write writings to kind of draw people away from the thinkings of Christianity, I think this is a really important conversation for us to have as Christians because it begins to, to spark this conversation as we look at the second commandment, what are the ways that I am subjecting my feelings, my ideas, my thoughts, my desires, the things that help me create my connection to God, and I have raised them to a point of worship that I hinder other people from finding their connection. It has to be my way. If you don't pray the way I do, or or sing the way I do, or not have guitars, or have guitars, or, you know, whatever thing that has ever been an argument in a trustees meeting. Um, when we allow those things to be, gain more and more control, we begin hurting people and excluding people because they're not worshiping the way I do. So, when we deal with Voltaire, and we deal with the, with the pondering, Am, did God make me in God's image, or did I make God in to my image? Did God make me in His image, or am I making God in my image? It becomes a challenge of really weighing out what we're doing. This, instead of challenging Christianity, it becomes a challenge of growth in Christianity. When we don't allow the created vessel to supersede its purpose, and we truly think through, why am I doing this? How does this connect to God? How do I keep the focus on God and not my selfish needs? We begin to open doors on how we're really working with other people and caring for other people, which links all this back together to the Ten Commandments being this place of building community. When I don't hold the image of the God that I created before someone else, it doesn't limit them from finding that connection. When I don't hold the rules and the bylines and the standards that I hold for myself to connect to God, when I don't completely hold others to that, it allows them to find their journey. It allows them to find their path and their connection to God. And yeah, we might sing different songs. Some of us are singing John Wesley. Some of us are singing George, uh, George Beverly Shea. And some of us are singing Bono. But we're all singing with a connection to God. And when we don't allow the practice to supersede the worship, 
We allow that worship to grow. We allow others to find their expressions to connect to God. And it opens some beautiful opportunities. I want us to think about that. And I'm really locked into this idea today because of what I'm dealing with as a United Methodist pastor. Because we've seen vessels and practices that have been wonderful and powerful in creating connections to God. And some of us are sitting and watching them become the tools that are superseding God and causing division. And we're looking for ways to do no harm, to love God, and to worship God daily. Now, I may have rambled a little bit today. I I hope not. This is a lot that I am personally processing. Because I very clearly see what Voltaire shared. I very clearly see at times the ways that we make God in our image. And when we don't allow these images to have more control than God, when we don't worship these images more than the true God that is sitting there with open arms waiting to accept us in grace, then we see ways that we need to change. And when we let go of those things and allow ourselves to change, then God is making us in God's image. Thank you for dealing with this pondering today. My name is the Reverend Michael Drew Davis. Don't let any image, don't hold any any image before God, especially God. Find ways to allow God to mold you into God's image instead of us molding God into ours. And let's truly celebrate these vessels and use them for why that they were created so that we don't use them in ways that they were never meant to to supersede the tool that they were used for to celebrate. i hold on to those thoughts. My name is the Reverend Michael Drew Davis. Thank you for riding the waves of my meranderings today. My name is the Reverend Michael Drew Davis. May the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. God is love. Amen. We'd like to have the opportunity to get to know you. Please email us at ncumcinfo at gmail.com. And if you've been enjoying our services online, please email us. Please say hello. Again, that's ncumcinfo at gmail.com. And also, if you'd like to give to our church, please go to northcoastumc.org and click on the Give button. Again, that's northcoastumc.org and click on the Give button. Thank you for joining us.